Hey mama, yes you. Whether you have babies, have fur babies, plant babies, have lost a baby, want one in the future, or are just on this planet to learn, grow, and nurture yourself, then you are a mama. And all mamas deserve joy, love, play, and self-compassion. This podcast is for those in the Mama Knows Breath program developed from a course in mindful living created by Dr. Elisha Goldstein. Here you can find the talks and meditation to cultivate a mindful approach to the journey of motherhood, including mothering yourself. So take a breath and let's get started. Welcome to week one of Mama Knows Breath. So today we are going to talk about what I'm hoping to teach in this program, including how to develop a practice of mindfulness and a practice of meditation that works for you and your lifestyle. We're going to explore the change journey and understand that it's a process that takes time and patience. We'll learn about the three-legged stool approach to this meditation course and we'll also to discuss what happiness is, including the different types of happiness and which type we should aim to gain more of. Lastly, we'll talk about how we can and should utilize play in our lives to improve our well-being and our practice. So why am I teaching you this program? So in October of 2022, I suffered a miscarriage which if you haven't experienced one, and I hope that you haven't, it is a heart-wrenching, life-changing experience. And during this time and in the many months following, I began to learn how connected we are as humans, but particularly as women. Even if one of my friends or family members or even someone like my dental hygienist didn't have the same experience I had, I found this incredible ability to bond and relate through the stories they shared with me. Like the fear of not being able to have a baby at all, or the battle with fertility treatments, or having a molar pregnancy, or never experiencing heartache from the loss of a child, but knowing the pain of losing a loved one. In hearing others and in sharing my own story, I found myself healing, albeit slowly, but healing knowing that I wasn't alone. I was stronger than I believed, and I would come out the other side of this, and my experience could help someone else connect and heal in the future. Also during this time, I was fortunate to be part of an online meditation group called Uncover the Power Within, created and led by Dr. Elisha Goldstein, and it was through the lessons I learned in this curriculum and the community that he had helped build that I was further able to not only understand the benefit of it, but provide myself with self-compassion, self-love, and the self-care I needed and deserved during the darkest days of my life. So I wanted to bring this curriculum to more people who are on a journey to or in motherhood to help each person know she is far more connected than she may realize and that she too deserves a break. She deserves joy. She deserves self-compassion and that she can successfully navigate all stages of life with the help of mindfulness and a great community. So I hope the idea of being part of the community 
and continuing a practice of mindfulness and meditation that works for you and your lifestyle is exciting. However, I also realize for some of you, it may feel daunting, scary, or unrealistic, which is why it's important to acknowledge where we are starting. We're all here with different, beautiful stories and experiences. We all choose to do this program for a variety of reasons, and we can all learn from each other. With that being said, I want to put the emphasis on the fact that this group is intended to support, encourage, and lift up one another. And it's not to give advice based on one's own experience, unless someone specifically asks for it. And I'll be here to remind you of that if I notice it. But I want this community to be a place where everyone feels welcome to share without judgment, and knows that this is a soft place to land during hard times, and a place to be hoisted in the air during the best times. So let's start by looking within at our own starting point. Many of you took the well-being quiz to help you have an understanding of where you are in your current level of well-being, so how you self-rate your current level of well-being. If you haven't taken the quiz, don't worry. You're welcome to take the quiz at any time if you're interested. And you may have noticed that your score is lower than you'd like it to be. So maybe you're here with certain goals in mind, hoping to learn more about mindfulness, hoping to start a meditation practice, hoping to engage in this community. Whatever the goal is, I want us to recognize where we are starting from personally. So you can take a moment and write down how you feel or what you're thinking at this moment in terms of your well-being. And then know that the road ahead of us, although we are doing four scheduled sessions, is really one that's lifelong. Becoming more mindful, developing more self-compassion, and being able to identify what trips us up and how we can get back up and start again all take time and will never be perfected. They will always be practices. So as we begin this four-week journey into learning to be more mindful and developing a meditation practice, I want us to know that it's important to be aware that we're all going to face obstacles. In recognizing obstacles up front, we can help identify the antidote to the obstacles, sometimes even before it becomes a true obstacle. So in our resources section, there's an article called Obstacles and Antidotes, which was taken from a course in Mindful Living created by Dr. Elisha Goldstein. In this article, he lists five common obstacles to starting a meditation practice and the antidotes to help overcome or prevent them. For example, doubt is on the list. We may be doubting if the program will really do anything for our well-being or our ability to be more mindful because meditation programs possibly haven't worked or stuck with us in the past. The antidote to this obstacle is to remember that our thoughts are just thoughts. They're not really facts. When we notice this doubting thought arises, we can look deeper and recognize the emotion behind it. Maybe it's fear. So what are some of the obstacles in your own life? I encourage you to take time to write those down. You can use the list to help you, or you may already know what you might come up against, like time constraints or all the tasks you need to get done every day. Whatever they are, list them and see if you can come up with your own antidotes that you can reference whenever an obstacle occurs because they can and will happen and that's okay. Just remember they're obstacles which can be moved around or over or through. So that brings us to the positive habit change versus time graph. So obviously, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can't see the graph, but know that you can always pull it up in our resource section. And taking a look at the graph, what you'll notice is that on the y-axis is positive habit change and on the x-axis is time. And throughout the graph, there's many peaks and valleys. 
So the line is going up overall, but it's going to take some dips. And everyone's going to experience both the peaks and the valleys. What tends to happen when we start something new like this, especially when there's an aim to improve our health or well-being or life as a whole, whenever we're in a valley, we say to ourselves, ugh, I haven't improved at all. I'm right back where I started. And I encourage you to print this graph out or use it as the background on your phone or your computer and let it serve as a reminder that a valley does not push us back at the beginning, despite our brain telling us that. So we might be in that lull, but it doesn't mean we're starting all over again. We can still climb up to that peak from wherever we're at. And additionally, over time, you'll find the valleys aren't quite as deep. So while we'll learn to experience them, they'll take less time to move out of. When obstacles or valleys arise, it is natural to want to say this program isn't working. I'm going to just try something else. And then any benefits we did gain are quickly lost because we stopped practicing. So the thing about this program is it's only four weeks long, but we want it to create lifelong practices. So how can we achieve this? Dr. Elisha Goldstein points out that many meditation programs include practices of heart, which includes self-care and self-compassion, and mindfulness, which is a practice of living with awareness. So these are two of the legs of the stool if we're looking at a three-legged stool approach. So we have heart and we have mindfulness. So what's the third? Because the two work really well to help us cultivate our sense of well-being while we're in a meditation program, but it's that third leg, which is cultivation, that is essential to making these practices last. Cultivation is how we take what we learn from this course and apply it. We will have an emphasis on cultivation in each week through the use of tools and recommended homework that we discuss. And this week, for example, we'll be using Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies, promise cards, and environmental cues to help us start our meditation practice journey. It's important to keep in mind that our aim is to have all three legs of the stool to keep our practice going. When we hit those valleys, we will need to give ourselves that self-compassion. We will need to recognize that we are in tough moments and we will have to turn towards our tools and lessons from the program to help us work our way out of the valley and towards a new peak. So many of you probably joined this course because you want to be more mindful or start a meditation practice, at least I hope so. And with that, you've likely heard of the benefit of these types of practice is that they make us happier. And while this has some truth, there are different types of happiness. So we first must know what it is we're aiming to get more of. Which type of happiness is that more lasting happiness that this type of program can help us achieve? So there are two types of happiness. Hedonic, which is more of our fleeting in the moment happiness, like getting a new car or getting a promotion. And then there's eudaimonic happiness. And that's our deep, long lasting happiness. So that's the feeling that your fundamental needs, your three fundamental needs at your core are being fulfilled. And those are peace, connection, and love. So examples are living within your purpose. Or another way it's been said is it's what we bring to rather than what we get from the world. That's eudaimonic happiness. And parenting is a good example. So it comes with a lot of challenges, but it's really, really rewarding. Or maybe you have a job you love and you can think of it in the same way. Yes, there's days that are tough, but overall you're getting so much out of it and it's that lasting happiness. And while we want both types of happiness in our lives, our greater aim should be for that eudaimonic. This is the type of happiness that we can carry with us. 
Hedonic happiness, although it feels good in the moment, doesn't last very long. Once we get a new promotion, we sometimes have our sights already set on that next one, for example. So yes, we want the hedonic moments, but that's not really what should be what's filling the majority of our cup. Eudaimonic happiness lasts. We can even practice experiencing it right now by thinking of a fun memory with a loved one. How does it feel in your body to recall the feelings? The laughter. The moment itself, right? Let it fill you. And in doing so, that happiness is what we take with us, right? We might not have every single memory exactly perfect of that moment, but we can take those feelings with us. We can take those little snippets. And that's what we want more of in our lives. Because while we won't be happy 24-7, we can tap back into eudaimonic happiness even during difficult moments. And I like to think of hedonic versus eudaimonic happiness as eudaimonic happiness is a deep well. So the more we practice appreciating the good things in life, the more we kind of live into our passions and give back, the you know nights we spend laughing while talking to our best friend on the phone or the moments we spend with our family, those fulfilling moments, that's what fills that water level in our well. And what's great is that even when we're in hard times, we can dip into our well. And yes, the hard time might be on the surface, but we have that wealth, that well of eudaimonic happiness underneath. And the higher up the water has risen, the easier it is to dip into. So I have found this very useful when I had my miscarriage in October. I can honestly say I've never been through a worse physical, emotional, and mental experience all at once like that. And I decided as I was walking into the ER that I was going to make note of the people who were helpful or kind to me and appreciate them, usually just in my mind. But I had this mindfulness and it gave me moments of reprieve even during this horrible experience. Even now as I look back, I remember it of course being heart-wrenching, but I also remember Lauren, the nurse who checked me in. And when I told her why I was there, she stopped typing, put her hand on my shoulder and said, I just want you to let me know if there's anything I can do for you or get for you while you're here today. Because today, life really sucks. And just for that moment, I laughed because her authenticity and kindness meant so much to me, even in the midst of the worst day of my life. And I have a fond memory of her helping me and supporting me. So even in the worst moment, I could still feel peace, connection, and love. And this is the happiness we're going to aim for more of in our lives as we work through this program. We can do that through focusing on the good moments in our life, being focused on seeking out that peace, love, and connection, rather than just material things. And one way to increase our connection with ourselves and with others is through play. While most of us know as mamas the importance of play for our babies, our fur babies, or other people's babies, How many of us really stop and realize that play is important for us as adults too? As Elisha Goldstein says, the opposite of play isn't work, it's depression. So if we let that sink in, the opposite of play isn't work, it's depression, it becomes apparent that play may be more important than we think. In fact, science has shown that it's necessary for our brain growth and development. So there's a molecule in our brain called brain-derived neurotrophic factor or BDNF, the name isn't really important, but we can think of BDNF as fertilizer for the brain. It helps connections in our brain related to learning and memory grow. And certain activities have been found to increase that BDNF, 
including things like exercise and, you guessed it, play. BDNF is not just a benefit, it's a necessity for proper brain development. This is why it's so vital for kids to play. They need it for their proper development. The same can be true for animals too. So we need that fertilizer on our brain to make sure it grows to its full potential. And the truth is we don't stop needing it as adults, but we tend to think of play as frivolous or a waste of time, so we stop doing it. Think about it. When was the last time you played? Some of you might even be asking, well, what even is play? What qualifies? According to Dr. Elijah Goldstein's article, The Joy and Power of Play, and psychiatrist Stuart Brown, who founded the National Institute of Play in California, play is an ancient, voluntary, inherently pleasurable, apparently purposeless activity or process that is undertaken for its own sake. Play is when you're so engrossed in something that you enjoy that you lose all sense of time and you don't want it to end. And it's been found to be a natural antidepressant. So basically, play is anything you do for the sake of doing it, not for some specific outcome or goal. So we can play when we decide to run through the sprinklers in the yard, or we can choose to play an instrument. Or we can even have a mindset of play at work and give ourselves the time and grace to have fun with trying to problem solve rather than needing to get to the right way right away. This practice is important not just for our brains, but our approach to a mindfulness practice. As we talked about, creating a new practice like this will come with ups and downs. And having that playful approach will allow us the opportunity to try things on, decide what we like, and let go of what we don't. So when we're having moments of play in our life, we really want to encourage that. If you think to yourself, oh gosh, I don't have time for this. Remember that you're actually promoting brain health when you play. So maybe that'll help you give yourself a little leeway and enjoy play that much more. So today we learn where we're starting from and where I hope this program leads us. We discussed the change journey and the ups and downs associated with it. We learned about the three-legged stool and the importance of the cultivation piece. We now can identify the two types of happiness and why we want to aim for more eudaimonic happiness in our lives. And we learned about some of the science of play and why we need it as adults in our lives and in our meditation practice. Thanks so much for joining me week one. I look forward to speaking with you week two. Bye for now.